Paul Hamilton is with us, Associate Professor of Comparative Politics. Paul, are you there? Yeah. Oh, now we can hear. <laughs> uh, Associate Professor of Comparative Politics in the Department of Political Science, Brock University. Uh, Paul, obviously talking about Brexit. First of all, your response, are you surprised that the vote went the way it did? I was extremely surprised. I was shocked. I still can't believe it. Um, you know, there was a lot of passion on the Leave side, but I thought, uh, you know, common sense and, uh, you know, uh, the the, uh, the advice and opinions of, you know, world leaders and academic uh, and other kinds of uh, experts would have persuaded people. But um, it looks like uh, the heart won over the head. Uh, are you surprised that 24 hours later people are feeling remorseful or looking at ways to untie this? Not really, because I imagine there's a certain percentage of people on the Leave side who may have thought, well, I'm going to vote that way just to express, you know, my, you know, frustration with the status quo, with the EU, with Cameron, whatever. The protest um, vote. Sorry? The protest vote. Yeah, and uh, the problem with a vote like that is you don't really know what everyone else is doing. Mm -hmm. And so you end up with a result like this. So is this reversible in any way? Is this a pipe dream? It is legally reversible because in Britain, the doctrine of parliamentary sovereignty means parliament is supreme. And so parliament could simply ignore this. Uh, the Greek government did this to a, on a referendum couple of years ago, uh, but it would be very, very difficult politically after having held this, after the lengthy campaign, after, you know, laying out clearly the, the consequences of the vote, for them to go back, I, I just don't see, it would be a joke, it would make referendums impossible in the future. So, if, obviously this is going to take two years to, uh, to undo, uh, and to for these uh, for the, for the UK to separate from the EU, um, if people are so remorseful, is that going to drag this out? Is there? I mean, obviously one side wants to do it as quick as possible, but the other probably doesn't. Well, I think at this point now it's in the hands of the political class. So um, I think Cameron maybe quite wisely uh, held off resignation till uh, October. And then uh, a new government will come in. So it's giving it a little bit of time for sober and second and third thought. I, I don't think anyone's going to rush into this. What will they, what will that sober second, third, fourth thought, what will that reveal? What will that be like? Well, one thing is to let the market sort of uh, uh, reach uh, an equilibrium. Um, they're still in flux. I heard today the pound is at its 31-year uh, low. Um, I think they, they, they need to let the markets cool. And then the period of reflection is going to be, what does Britain want? Uh, what kind of relationship does it want with the European Union? And it'll also allow the, the European leaders to think about, uh, you know, because, you know, feelings are a little tender right now, I suppose. Uh, but perhaps in a month or two, they will see their own rational interests are in a very uh, legal and um, well-orchestrated divorce. Uh, what is the Leave side saying at this point when they're watching markets drop and, and obviously people not reacting well to this news? 
Well, I think they're attributing it to, they're going to say, first of all, that it was expected right. that there would naturally be some jitters in the marketplace. Um, I think there's some on the leave side who, who were saying that Britain was going into recession anyway, and therefore uh, this is just part of that longer economic uh, situation. Um, but I imagine some of them are feeling a, a, a little uh, nervous at the moment, um, watching uh, all kinds of uh, market indicators, uh, uh, you know, express their, their concern. Uh, two years, will this be cut and dry? Um, or do you it think really we're... depends partly on the, the will of the leaders involved. <clears throat> it will not be Cameron that takes them out of this. Uh, there's now a struggle among the conservatives about who to put in uh, to replace him in the leadership campaign. There are people who were for remaining um, who would be very good, like Theresa May. There are, there's, of course, Boris Johnson, uh, who looks to be the favorite. But they might think it better and wiser to have someone from the remain side negotiate the exit because they might have a more sober view of uh, the implications of the deal. Uh, also, one other thing, if I could just squeeze it in. Go for it. There are it. elections in uh, Germany and France uh, next year. So uh, this becomes complicated because the actual tre- the treaties and negotiations that will uh, remove Britain from the EU are conducted really by the leaders of the European states. How will this influence those elections coming up next year? Well, I suppose for, you know, some people might think this is a shot in the arm to populism uh, on the continent, that uh, there are parties like the Front National in, in France that might get a shot in the arm from this. Um, on the other hand, if uh, you looked at the Spanish election yesterday, it looks like people kind of lean toward the status quo and re-elected a conservative party. So I don't know, uh, but it will certainly make uh, the European issue front and center, which it typically isn't in domestic elections in Europe. Uh, five years from now, when this is all said and done, and there's other elections that continue and life goes on and the world continues to spin, um, can, can you see them returning to the EU? Could this be, no. could this be another debate a decade from now? Uh, I don't think so. And one reason is uh, to exit the EU, you enter into a treaty ne- or a, a series of negotiations, and the final negotiations are approved by uh, 72% of the countries with 65% of the population. To enter the EU, quite a different ballgame. To enter the EU, uh, your entry as a state must be approved by every single individual member. And so it would only take one state with, uh, uh, you know, a bit of a grudge uh, to say, no, Britain, you're chaotic. You don't know what you want. You're not really, you don't feel European. You've never really bought into the EU project. Uh, We cannot allow this instability Mm. back in again. Mm. Uh, Is the, will the UK, or sorry, will the European Union be just fine without the UK in it? Well, it could be, and it was uh, for... uh, Over 20 years, um, it uh, was a purely continental organization. It started off with six states, uh, Italy, Germany, France, Belgium, Netherlands, and Luxembourg. And they got along fine without Britain. In fact, uh, Charles de Gaulle actively um, uh, campaigned to keep Britain out of the EU. Um, I think they could be okay. I I think uh, they're stronger with Britain. 
Britain, uh, Britain leaving takes one-fifth of the GDP of the EU with them. Hmm. And so I think it's stronger with Britain, uh, but um, I do think they can get along if, uh, if the will is there. And where does this leave Scotland? Well, this is uh, the very much unanticipated question. Uh, and now we're looking at a possibility of a Scottish referendum. Uh, hard to say when exactly. It might take place. Um, I think they would have to wait at least until the negotiations with the U.K. begin. Uh, but they could then uh, hold the referendum on whether or not to uh, uh, get independence from the U.K., which would be a repeat of the, the 2014 referendum. I think uh, if that were to happen, I think there's a pretty good chance Scotland would uh, separate. Uh, do, do you think Scotland can get into the EU? Well, this is a legal question. There have been arguments either way. And some people say uh, Scotland independent would have to get in the back of the line with Macedonia and Ukraine and these other uh, aspirant members. Um, but I, I don't think that's right. I think because of the circumstances, because uh, a good solid majority voted to remain um, and and because Scotland has been a member of the EU for since 1973, I think they would have a good case to make that, if nothing else, they would have an easier, quicker process of being admitted as an independent member. Once the dust settles here, will this be good or bad for the UK? Uh, uh, I, I have to think it's bad. You know, it's a globalized world, and, uh, you know, tiny states uh, have a very difficult time. Um economically and with their security, I really think this is an era, and it may always be, uh, where small states need to uh, combine their sovereignty and their strengths, pool their resources, and um, uh, in order to make a mark in the world. I, I think the U.K. will, will ultimately suffer uh, for this. Should there ever have been a referendum, do you think? No. Well, I mean, there are Democratic purists who think we should have referendums about everything, mm. uh, but that's not actually possible uh, logistically. And uh, you might say, well, uh, when it comes to big issues, we should have referendums. Well, okay, but um, this issue should have been dealt with in national elections as arguments between political parties. But they never, ever did do that because the parties themselves, Labour and the Conservatives, are so divided on Europe that they don't want to open up those internal wounds. Mm -hmm. So what Cameron did was he saw uh, on his right the U.K. Independence Party uh, rising in popularity in the uh, 2000s. They got 13 percent of the vote in 2015. And uh, within his own caucus, he had people that want to leave, Boris Johnson, Michael Gove. Um, so I think he felt that he sort of had to put this to rest but I think his big mistake was he thought the case for Europe was obvious. And, uh, and it may be to, to someone like myself, um, but to a large section of the British public. By the way, I, I calculated this. 37% of the British electorate voted for exit. Hmm. 37% because 28% didn't vote. Yeah. And uh, so I think he miscalculated. And also, you may recall, right, in 2014... He gambled with Scotland and came out looking pretty good. Yeah. Um, and he thought maybe he would do it again. Are citizens qualified to make these decisions? 
Can they keep emotion out of it? Well, I don't think you can ever keep emotion totally out of politics, but and, and probably we shouldn't want to. But uh, the problem with referendum is it's almost avoiding politics, you know. And so instead of having political parties campaign with different agendas, you know, you're presented with this policy option, and the policy option is never nuanced. It's always black or white. It's never, okay, here's four options. Uh, which one do you like the best? Um, other countries do this, by the way. Um, but in the U.K., uh, this referendum was, you know, yes or no. It was pretty stark. And um, the consequences are enormous. Uh, we've got just under a minute left. One more question, Paul. Sure. Uh, they always say that there's a contagion effect here, uh, specifically within the EU, obviously. But do you see this uh, riling feathers in the separatist movement in Canada and in Quebec? No, I don't think so. Um, uh, this It's quite a different situation. Seeking to leave an international organization, uh, I think, is a lot, is a different sort of political idea than for a minority ethnic group to want to separate and create its own state. So, um, although I have to say, I think Quebec, you know, separatism at the moment seems to be nearly dormant, but um, uh, I don't think this will have any effect on that. Paul Hamilton has been with us, Associate Professor of Comparative Politics in the Department of Political Science, Brock University. Paul, thanks for the discussion. Much appreciative. Not at all.